want you to listen. And then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. All right, welcome back to uh, the Knowledge on Tick podcast. Uh, this is episode three, and today we're joined by Dan Cocker. Thank you. Dan, could you just give us a little bit of a, um, about who you are and what you do? I'm from the Incremental Project, and uh, we provide a range of programs, respectful relationship, mental health, anti-bullying and family violence programs in a range of settings, schools, sporting clubs, um, individual one-on-one work, and um, we, we look to really... Um, provide a safe harbour for people to be able to get and share information around all of those topics. Um, one of the biggest things we do look to do is to really redefine ourselves through um, through the program, and that's from having different inf- information around emotions, communication, relationships, effective bystander, decision-making, uh, resilience, you know, and, and, and really having a a fun, interactive and engaging environment for people to all share, you know. Um, I don't like to say, I'll never say I'm a teacher because every single time that I've interacted with another personal or professional, I learn, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not, never a one-way, not, never one-way street with that. Um, and also what I do, like with the young people in particular that I work with, um, they're who I learn from most. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, a lot of the young people we work with uh, have to be emotionally intelligent by circumstance, and us workers, you know, I put you know as a, as a stereotype, but I think that a lot of us we we try and build our emotional intelligence. Mm. So our programs allow us all to grow in different ways and have that safe harbour. And and really, the biggest aim of those programs that we do are for young people and people to redefine themselves, mm. and then therefore that redefines their relationships with whatever, whether it be. A, um, an addiction, or a relation, intimate relationship, friendships, um, parents, especially, you know, pet um, workers. And one of the biggest aims of our programs is to build that stronger relationship and do a good and he- uh, a quality job for that, that the people who we work with um, build build their trust in the system. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people generally work with have been let down or have felt let down and or by the system and and that's been intergenerational too. Yeah. So, you know, and that's why we went into, you know, working with parents and teachers because we're working with students or young people and then we're getting the results. So parents and teachers were amazed by, you know, the change around in, in behaviours and interaction with the young people. And then we're able to then work with the parents and, and they had buy-in then. Mm. 
Mm. And then we worked with them and then they were able to then really see and redefine their relationship with services, for example, or the teaching staff. So that helped that relationship to grow and that only benefited what we were doing. And as as, as history of working um, at Parkville, you know, really found in, in other places where even society, we... We're all working towards the same goal separately. Mm. Yeah. You know, so when we work on the same page, phenomenal things happen. Mm. You know, and, mm. and, and that goes back to even to my course for myself. My relationships have just f- flourished because of programs. Mm. You know, I go through shit, I have shit, I feel like shit, I am shit, you know, like mm. on all those levels. But I also get to the other side too. Yeah. You know, and we all do. So when we have those conversations around and the activities that we have that are engaged in fun, whether they're multimedia, small group, large, large or small or large group discussion, um, uh, art therapy, games, just all different ways to be able to um, put things to have a vehicle to pull learnings out of. Yeah. yeah. And, and the young people that we work, we, we work with and we base our program of being fun because we don't have to try and remember yeah. Mm. It just it sinks in yeah. and we start to become what we what we already knew, you know, and that's where people also say, Oh Dad, you did you, you did this, or you, you know, you know that, or you taught us this. Um people already knew it. Yeah. You know, for us to for, for, for people to get it. So it was presented and, and I look at myself as a as a presenter, you know, and, and also develop and deliver of programs. But it's the way that I ultimately present myself within schools or whoever we're working with. And yeah. a big part of that is to be completely flexible towards the needs mm. of the school or agency that we work with because um, the customer there drives drives the drives the truck, you know, so to say. So, and the whole idea of our programs is, is to break barriers down. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, there's so many barriers for people to access a service, whether it's waiting time or finance or, 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 or people to do it or time slots to have it in, yeah. that we try and make it adaptable because we also find the people who are advocating and getting our programs in, they're the meat and the sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're the person who's trying their guts out, you know, to, to do something and change something against the system, you know, that's already been at hand. So we really, really look to not work for, I work for the young people, I work for people, I work with people to do that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and agencies, so to say. Yeah, awesome. There's a whole bunch of things in there that I reckon will pull apart. Yeah. Um, we start all of the podcasts off with five questions. Yep. Um, so the first question that we ask is, what did your parents do for work? Cool. Mum and dad, dad was a fitter and turner through high school and mum was actually cleaned houses. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was huge for me because I actually went to a private, really pretty like kind of affluent private school for year seven till year nine here and then even private school from year 10 to 12. So I was, uh, I was like... My mum was cleaning houses at places of people who I was going to school with and stuff like that. And that was massive for um, humility, I think the word would be. Um, And also, like, um, really understanding and respecting my parents. I used to actually be ashamed of it. You know, I was ashamed of it through high school and what it turned out, and that's a big thing with the programs, that a lot of things that we really are ashamed of or, or think are negative, mm. when time plays out, mm. it's, 
it makes us. Makes you, yeah, that's you know? right. And, and, and I'm, I just couldn't be more prouder of my mum and dad of, of being able to, to save and put me through and into those experiences. And, and, and I was not academic at all, you know. So um, that, was, uh, that, was, that was huge because they, those situations, I didn't learn in class, I mm. learned about class. Mm. And that, when I came in to being a youth worker, just... Um, that made me, you know, mm-hmm. that was one of the real big things that, that set me up for being understanding uh, of different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That was a good one. Mm. All righty, next one is, who is the most famous or well-known person in your phone book? Um, the most famous person would be um, a guy named Bo, Bo Nixon, and he's a, actually worked with him a couple of years ago. He's an ex-AFL player, played for Collingwood and Hawthorne. Yeah. And um, an absolute oh stand-up bloke. And uh, one thing that really, like, man, got big respects and big ups to him for, he, he spoke about he didn't, he quit football because he wasn't aligned with the culture that mm-hmm. was there at that time. It was very hyper-masculine, yeah. was very disrespectful, you know, it was very um, uh, pretentious and, and he was completely against his, his value, set of values. So mm. he now worked, I got to know him through working in schools. He's down at St. Joe's, involved with St. Joe's down in Geelong um, and does a great job down there. And uh, he's probably uh, the most, yeah, most famous person in, in the phone book. Mm. That's awesome. I, the reason I pulled that face then when you were talking is because I was like, I know that name. And then you said he played for Hawthorne and I was like, my dad's going to kill me for not saying I knew who that was because <laughs> he's like an avid Hawthorne supporter. Yeah, right. An interesting yeah. story too. I don't think that there would be many people who quit football or any other sort of famous um, like sports and like high profile things like that yeah. for that reason or sort of coming out and talking about it like that. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, interesting. Personally, yeah. it was one of the first like conversations he was happy to have. Wow. And he, he, he put it out there and I was that's just huge. blown away by mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's awesome. Um, what job wouldn't you do? Um, after recently, I think midwife, you know, yeah. and, I, and I say that because I couldn't do it. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, uh, like massive respect and big ups and very underrated and undervalued role in society mm. um, of, the, you know, all of us came through that passage, you know, yeah. of the hospital, you know, of the midwife. So, and the job that they do yeah. is such a crucial time, which is, you know, a birth is trauma. You know, it's a traumatic experience and to make that smooth and to make that um, um, a beautiful experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, yes. you know? yeah. So, yeah, like straight, that would be the yeah the one that I, I couldn't do, I wouldn't do because I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And if you don't want me saying your daughter is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Saw some thank photos, you, yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Excellent. Yeah. Shout out to Lulu and Alex. Absolutely. Yeah. No, she's gorgeous. Oh, I want to see pictures after this. <laughs> um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, it was to back myself. Yeah, just to back myself. And mm. it was from my, it was, it was, I don't actually know who told me that. It was in, when I was playing rugby, it was, it was about 16, 17, and it was one of the coaches we had, and it was, um, it was around, it was actually before a final, and, and one of the coaches just said, look, whatever you do, back yourself today. Trust yourself, back yourself. Yeah. yeah and I actually didn't, I didn't sink then. It was just something that happened, and about years and years later, I remember that, I remember hearing that, he said that. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, so that, um, that would have to be because... That's the core foundation of any time that we go into a school and we ask, um, 
I would ask the teacher or the adult in the room, what would you say to your 15-year-old, 14, 12-year-old self? Yeah. And they, they always say, back yourself, you know, trust yourself, you know, you got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would have to be, yeah, the biggest piece of advice I've ever received. Received? Mm. But yeah. the, the greatest piece of advice I've ever, like, heard or read mm. was um, by a wrestler, Jake the Snake Roberts, and he's got a saying that, um, well, his original saying was, a smart man knows where to steal good stuff, but... You know, when I do programs, it's a smart person, knows where they're still good stuff. Yeah. You know, it's anybody. It's not phones, it's not keys, it's not money. Yeah. It's traits, it's ways to do things and also ways not to do things. Mm. You know? Absolutely. So that's probably, yeah, that's one of what I live by, one, yeah. one, one piece of advice, that, or one piece of, like, I guess, saying, I guess, mm. that, um, that really, really just always is at the forefront of, of my mind. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Mm. And then back yourself, so... It makes so much sense and it's so basic, but how often do you, and I've experienced, I've done this myself, where you're constantly looking for people to support your idea or something that you want to do. Like, what do you reckon? I've got this idea to do a podcast. And then people are, oh, maybe not. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever it is. But really, at the end of the day, if you've got the idea and it's not ludicrous or you're not going to be having to take a loan out for $4 million or whatever. Yeah. But even then, maybe back yourself. Yeah. But, and you know. You never know. But like, yeah, just back yourself in and yeah that's yeah super important and that we've had a we had a conversation or maybe it just might have been a personal conversation about like positive self-talk mm. um and just how how and negative self-talk how much that the the um both can affect you mm. um and to remind yourself to have those conversations mm. within your own head it's yeah. so true yeah. so i was about to actually say that um you know in our programs one of the things we say in the first session is you know, that people we, we would never speak to another person the way we speak to ourselves. Absolutely, ever. yeah. Ever, ever, ever. Mm. And you see people like you guys nodding your head mm. yeah. or you see people with heads go down and go, shit, you yeah. know, because we all know we do it. Yeah. You know, so that's, yeah, and that's why it was so huge that that statement was said because, yeah, the more, there's just so much more understanding that happens from conversations and, you know, how we live, mm. yeah, to be, be sane. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast, it wasn't that long ago actually, and it was it was all around observing your negative thoughts because they're still a thing. We're not yeah. going to say try and forget about them. They're still going to be there, observe them. You don't need to take them on. But also try and flip that when you catch it, catch yourself in the middle of that and you'll get better and you'll get stronger. And it said in there, the dude said something like, Imagine a young person or like a child in your life that you love and absolutely adore. And so I thought of my nephew and I'm like, okay, where's he going with this? Didn't even think forward about it at all. And then said, think about the negative things you say to yourself and say that to that young person and watch their eyes well up mm. and watch how they react. And I was mm. like, oh, heart struck. I could never. And I was like, it's, it's just so true though. The things and the way we speak to ourselves is so important. Yeah. And we just don't address it enough, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. And we, we're kind of unconscious about who's watching us do that. Yeah. You know, whether it be younger children, people, our children, you know, yeah. or other people, that those, you know, we, we're all we're forms of role models in some way, whether it's not about adoring somebody, mm. it's just people around us. Yeah. Who's a role model. So yeah. other people can pick up that trait who we seriously love. And yeah. we would never, and we're trying to help out people. So it's a bit of a counter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, last one, in regards to your um, to your work and your career, what was your aha moment? Like, yes, this is why I'm here, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, first day of the job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, first day of the job. And it was, um, I was actually over in England and I'd never, 
before that, I'd never been an unacademic person. I'd never been valued or congratulated or respected for anything other than what I did on the rugby field. Mm. You know, and I was an okay player. I was maybe good if I was lucky on a good day. But the only, um, and I went for an interview for, for doing a resi care work job. Um, and I, I killed it. It was the first time three adults you know, who weren't principals or vice principals were happy with me, you know, mm. like, and I was in front of people. And then I went into the job and I was like, this is, this is me. I know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And it was um, and Chris Jericho, another wrestler, so I'm a massive wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he said in, he said in something like, and it was how it was for me before that. Life was like in black and white, and then it turned into colour from that day. Mm. Because from the age of fifteen to twenty one, I was scared shitless about what I was going to do with my life. Mm. You know, I was I, there was no everyone else knew what they were going to do. They were already into a trade or a job or a career. And I had no idea, you know, and I didn't, nothing, I didn't like anything, you know, I didn't like anything. I was oblivious to a whole lot of stuff. So you know, I'm massively grateful for, for the opportunity of work. And now 20 years later, mm. you know, I've got no hair now, but I had long hair. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, yeah. and then, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually made my life, you know, given, given a lot of purpose, given a lot of fun, you know, the experiences. And I really built my identity out of it too, you know. Mm. So, but at the same time, big believer because people do talk up youth workers all the time and say, oh, you know, you do so much and you, you do this. And it's like, I think it's about what we do when we're not getting paid. Mm. You know, that, that's the real our relationship ourselves. And if we can try and have those habits, try to have those habits, you know, throughout yeah. and be consistent, our relationships benefit, mm. you know, and that's with ourselves and others. Mm. Mm. Was that in the UK? You, yes. Yeah. Yep. So ResiCare, did you, have you done Resi here in Australia? Yeah, yeah it worked here too. How do they compare? Because people talk about England being pretty hectic with their social community services sector. Yeah. Is it is it quite different in your opinion? Or? Yeah, it was a bit... The, the young people there, because it went to... Like, it seemed that they were a lot more, I guess, mature oh. um, in terms of... And they went to 18. I was working with older young people who were the 17, 18, really transitioning into independence. And that just could have been the house I, houses I worked in. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, same time, I think that over there... It was a similar model. However, here it just um, it just seemed, I can't say, I, think, I, I felt more personable. Mm. You know, here, over there, it was very, um, I think, a bit more clinical. Okay. At the same time, it was my first job. Mm. So I don't really, I, at that time, I didn't know, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very similar, but I think the, the, probably the biggest difference was just the, the demographic that we were working with yeah. and then that impact on our approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Interesting. And a lot colder. Yeah, like absolutely. Colder there, so. yeah. I was just thinking of the weather when you were saying the, the UK. Yeah. How'd you do it? Oh, struggled. It was, and we, you know, we're playing rugby over there too, so it was, um, yeah, I came back here knowing that this is not cold. Yeah. This is like, yeah, this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, but not, that's freezing over there. So, um, but there was also the, um, 
it was just cool. Everything was new, having snow. There was all these first experience, first time experiences, yeah. which trumped the discomforts. Mm. Yeah. At the same time, really missed home. Mm. Really, really missed home. And and it was I, I didn't know it was before FOMO was identified, but there was a lot of FOMO back then. You know, <laughs> yeah. of, of missing out on what I was thinking was happening, of what I was happening here. And I do wish I made more out of that that, that experience. I really yeah. wish I did. Same time, came back and then other opportunities that. I couldn't have got if I was over there, yeah. happened and they were with rugby. So, you know, they, I actually wish for those things and I say to anybody, like, wish, make wishes. Mm. You know, they come to be careful of the wish you make, make sure, you know, because sometimes we wish for this and it turns into that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, really, really have ambitions or aspirations which are our wishes, mm. you know, mm. and, 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 and then we can learn from them later, you know, or there'll be things that we'll be able to unpack from yeah. that experience. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're probably over there about... When you're about 18, 19, 20, uh, sorry, 20, 21. Yeah. yeah. I was in England around the same time and I was working at a school, at a boarding school, and I found it really difficult. Very similar to how you're describing it. Like, really cool, um, really enjoyed like the culture and haven't, haven't been quite different. But yeah, really missed it from being, um, from coming home and regretting not traveling more and using the opportunities more. But and when you're 21, you're like, oh, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. I know how to do everything. And now, like 32, I'm just like, I reckon, you know, in the past five or six years, I could have done what I want, what I, what I would have wanted to have done back then. But then, yeah, you're just like a child, like a baby. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. But it's, yeah, it's just funny that you said pretty much how I would have said it. And, and it yeah. was, yeah, one thing that was actually just came back was um, any time, because it was the first time, I just say, oh, it, whenever, whenever I felt like I had nothing to talk about in terms of just anything was that awkward moment, I'd say, oh, in Australia, we got, in Australia, we do it like this, and the kids loved it. So yeah. it was, I was really lucky to start over there. Had I started in Melbourne yeah. or in Australia, wouldn't have had that to kind of, that go-to yeah. to have. So that really, by circumstance and luck, was just, you know, something. And, and also taught us, you know, bring yourself out through the job. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bring yourself, be yourself, and other people, especially young people, they'll listen, you know, they're, they're, they're engaged. It's just if we're open and honest about stuff, Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week. Yeah, that relationship building and stuff is is why Parkville, I think, in the early years, because you definitely were there before me and then we overlapped, was why I think that centre functioned quite well mm. in that period of time because it really was like we would we would be at, we we would wear what we're wearing now to work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, okay. you'd have your security belt on um, if you even want to call it that keys and a radio, mm. and you were hanging out on couches playing cards, kicking the footy around, yep. building relationships, and that's why it functioned quite well. And I don't want to get into all the reasons why it's not functioning well in my opinion now, but back to relationship building, rapport building with young people and having warm conversations and warm relationships. Mm. It was through that and that's why it functioned the way that it did and and, and it was such a pleasant place to work oh, for such time. a long time. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like Parkville, it's like people's like, it's like that, that relationship that you know is unhealthy mm. but you see so much potential in it. Mm. Right. You know, so you want to stay there. You want to you do, you want to give your most and then, you know, different people leave for different reasons mm. and time and, you know, relationships end. So it was, um, yeah, it was I'm always forever grateful for working there, my experiences. Mm. And the biggest thing, the relationships. You know, yeah. And yeah. actually having a 
20-year anniversary for the people who worked there in wow. 2000, 1999. Yeah, well, it was scheduled for, yeah, scheduled for June, about in June. So that will be cool to catch up with the old faces and see people and just, just you know, remember, you know, yeah, yeah. those funny times that we had back then and to look back and see how much it's changed, how much this place has changed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how long did you work there? Uh, 10, 10 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So That's a long time. Yeah, long time. So it was, uh, it was in both centres. was really fortunate to work at the Young Women's Unit. Started off there. Oh, I yeah. remember naive 21-year-old self going in there. I was like saying to myself, I'm going to learn about women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ran to that unit three years later. Ran. <laughs> <laughs> three years is good. But it's a long oh, yeah, time. I did. I did. I learned a lot about, you know, I guess the disposition, you know, the pressures. Yeah. The most of all the risks. Mm. You know, they're particularly young women, and we work with young men, young women, and an unspoken you know, part of our job is the, the amount of risk that young women encounter in terms of relationships, in terms of being with older guys mm. that, that are presented, that, that mm. are really un, I say un, unacknowledged, you know, by us because we, we worry about the physical, physical kind of um, forms of violence mm. and the emotional and sexual uh, um, um, monumental for individuals. You know, and, and they really form relationships. So it's, um, that was awesome to start there. And then working with the young men um, at, from the 10, at 10 to 14 unit, Barnett, mm. and then being lucky enough to go over the wall, to working with them four, five, six years later, mm. yeah. I got to see how we really define a person as a 14-year-old or why does he do that? And why? Because he's 14 years old. Mm. Yeah. You know? Because you see a year later and you see a different person, you mm. know, and you see a young man starting to flourish and come through. Mm. So to see that and also the intergeneration of working over that time, having a having a brother or sister, you know, in the early 2000s, and then, you know, their parents and younger siblings would come in a visit and the younger siblings were six, seven, eight at the time. Mm-hmm seen them at 14, mm. seven years yeah. later, 65 years later, and they'd always step it up a notch, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So really you got to see how role models and how how, how, um, how an identity can really be formed, mm. you know, when, when you've got different people doing things. What we do with natural is people, we get better. We do things better, mm. you know? So you can do good or things that aren't so good better if, mm. you, if, you're, if you're unaware or unsupported, which is the biggest one. Yeah. yeah. So, and then just seeing parents go through through that, you know, and, and where a lot of people, you know, judge parents and, uh, you know, really felt, felt that, you know, us as a system let, it, let the parents down, mm. you know, so we didn't, know, we weren't able to support them to be able to support their children. Yeah. You know, we, a lot of the time we judged them, you know, so it was really eye-opening for that. Is to see that, and that really just created more empathy, mm-hmm. you know, and then that opened eyes up to be more open to ideas and and considering where people can can be, come from, and that was crucial learnings. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, we were talking before the podcast started that your work at the moment is around working with young people, potentially teachers, carers, parents, and that's something that kind of always bugged me was, uh, and not just about working in youth justice, but around most services that you kind of don't have that or don't necessarily have the opportunity for the holistic approach and that um, the ability to um, to give the same message to all the different people involved. Um, because we, like, for example, the program I'm working in at the moment, there's a young person who experiences family violence and comes to 
has his um, appointments with his worker and they do a lot of work around relationships and, and you know, whatever would unfold in that conversation, but then that young person then returns home yeah. to face these same challenges. And it sounds like, and, and if you could explain a little bit more, but the work that you do around the consistent messaging to the whole circle, that village, I suppose, mm-hmm. raising that child yeah. is so important, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and we also, you know, with that, we found that teachers and parents were able to, you know, through the programs, you know, really understand that we're learning from our children, mm. you know, and then their children. We don't have to, and that pressure to be right or wrong. Mm. You know, with parents, really found a lot of the times that when a teacher would speak to a parent about their child's behaviour, the, the, the child's behaviour was kind of moved, it became relevant. The, t- the parents... Their conversation within that was actually about their parenting or misparenting. Mm. Yeah. And the walls are up. Yeah. So they're really not, you know, considering, you know, they're not actually having a conversation. They're not able to buy into the conversation. And when we have empathy for our programs, really bring out for parents, what's going for your child before yeah. four o'clock? You know, and for the children, what's happening for your mum and dad before four o'clock? Because kids kind of get home, think it's a clean slate. Why isn't this? Da da da. There's expectations, and for the teachers to be understood of what they're going through, mm. you know, and if they have to go home and then be themselves, and be parents, and be people after that four o'clock period. So, once the each each part of those, each sector, you know, each demographic help uh, understood the other, mm. then they had empathy then they start working together, mm. you know, and with the same language through the, through the programs, it was that speaking to self nicely, you know, that, that speaking to others nicely and respectfully, looking for whys, you know, rather than presuming, you know, yeah. we talk a lot about stereotypes and stigmas in the program, having fun with it. Um, and then we're able to have a, one thing, presence. Mm. We're able to be present with the other people who we're working with, living with, you know, being with. Mm. And most of all, ourselves. And when we can be present with ourselves, then we can have genuine, real conversations mm. and not have that kind of fill out with, like we're selling out to ourselves in the back of our mind or having the feeling the need to put the mask on, mm. yeah. you know, or the negative mask. We have masks, but there's that negative mask which is against our values, a set of values. You know? mm. And mm. the biggest thing, values alignment. That's the biggest thing I'd like to say that, you know, we aspire to do or try to do is that everybody's got the same values but sometimes we actually don't understand how we're playing them out. Mm. And when we do understand it, you know, we've got the same values that we, with different flavours. Yeah. You know, we're, we're now talking, we can speak the same language. Mm. You know, then we can get to understandings. Yeah. I think it's huge the part you mentioned about parents and getting the walls up and being defensive and actually starting to ignore not ignore, maybe forget to find the need or the reason for the behaviour, yes. like what's actually the trigger underneath all of it. And sometimes it, all it is is, is it, and, it, and it's no one's fault really, but it's about that reframing for the parent yeah. and how just how much that can change things. Um, yeah, just being able to take what's going on, reframe it for the mum or the dad or, or whoever, the carer, whoever it is, and then presenting that to them and saying, he's actually saying this or you... You know, he's actually trying to tell you this thing or, or that thing. And they just have a much more better understanding once you do that. Um, yeah, it's, and, yeah. Oh, it is. It's, and, you know, we really find that the parents speak to parents and they're going, what's the school doing? Yeah. You, know, you say, school, the school, the school. Why do parents, they're not doing anything at home? And it's like the real reality is that we're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, we don't do it with the young person and we're not doing it with each other. 
Mm. You know, so when we can collectively work together, advocate for each other as either like small groups or within the large community, we start to get outcomes. Mm. And they really happen quickly. They happen, mm. you know, massively too. And the biggest thing is that it really brings back to the relationships, whether it's in the school, at home, that people are just happier and healthier and it's well, the one word, well-being. You know, our well-being is, is a lot more um, at a higher, higher rate, you know, of, of well-being. Hmm. I wonder if you don't mind going back a little bit and something that sort of caught my attention when you guys were chatting about Parkville, for people listening, what would what is that like? You know, because I guess there was a couple of things you said over the wall, you said the Barnett unit, which mm-hmm. are things that I have vague ideas about mm-hmm. because of the role that I do. Yeah. Um, but I guess for people that, you know, are potentially listening or still studying, trying to figure out what it is that they want to do, what would a day working, you know, in a prison look like or what would that rapport building and building that relationship to have those, you know, courageous conversations with, um, you know, young people. What what would that look like? Yeah, so I want to first say that it's been, I think, three or four years since I've worked there yeah. last. So things are quite different now and, and um, I certainly couldn't speak for how it runs now um, or what a day would be like, especially in terms of a lot of the media. Mm. I can speak from my experience. So when I first started, which was around the same time that you ended up finishing, we, I, I started 2010 and you finished. So we obviously crossed over for a period of time. Mm. Um, actually, you know what? Yeah, maybe I reckon if you, because I'm, I things changed at Parkville even in the period of time that you and I worked there. Yeah. Maybe you could start off. What was it like when you started in 2000? Because for me, I even heard like rumours and stories. So how was it for you when you started? Maybe I can pick off and, and finish a, a little bit near the end of it. Uh, it was a lot... It was, it was a lot more personal. Well, what happened is it changed from a rehabilitation model to a justice model. Yeah. You know, and that really happened around the 2010 mark. Yeah. Um, 11. So when, when we started, I remember riding bikes around the whole precinct, you know, with, with young women and young men. It was a lot more engaging. Mm. And not so we had, we were allowed to be a little more engaging. Okay. You know, so it wasn't as in the staffing team or group at the time. It was... The, the, the circumstances. So the approach was where we had a, um, it was a lot more engaging. They actually had spokes in the unit back then. Wow. Yeah, the women's unit because they were entitled as over 18, you know, for the yeah. girls who were 18 or 21. They had smokes at the unit. Um, it was, it was fun. You mm. know, it was very, very fun. It was it engaging. Was fun. It was, um, it was very interactive. There were very strong relationships with the young people that we could build. There was a that, that built into trust. Mm. Um, and also the demographic actually changed. Mm. changed sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. When, um, when I started, it was really at the end of the kind of, you know, the Australian old Aussie old school. Yeah. yeah they, they, were, they were the, um, you know, it was with the last of those guys. And then really, and a pity back, you know, kind of feel it was from intergenerational it was. circumstances, a lot more mental health crept in, yeah. you know, and you would have seen firsthand within your own experiences that the amount of young people who are dual diagnosis massively increased, mm. and now it is in the, it was the total minority, mm. and now it's the majority within within the within the um, centre. So that was that was a huge change, and um, would have been mainly um, Anglo Australian kids. 2000s, would you say? Uh, yeah, it was. It was, and that was a, that was a big thing to, to see the. Well, I guess the 
the token demographic or the small, smaller demographic was the Indigenous at that time when I came in. Mm-hmm. And around 2004, five the Pacific Islanders were overrepresented, yeah. became mm-hmm. overrepresented also. And, and then saw the same thing happen with the West African and African community uh, four or five, in about the year about 2009. Mm-hmm. That's when it, that, that kind of started. So yeah. really saw those cycles repeat over time within, mm-hmm. within the time that it was there. And, um, and unfortunately, the same approach. I think that we didn't miss, we misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we misunderstood the young people we worked with in terms of their cultural needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was therefore a breakdown in our communication then our outcomes, mm. you know, with the young people. So, and really, I actually saw it in the time turn the abuse on staff. Yeah, used definitely. to be client, client. Yeah. yeah. And then it slowly, gradually moved into client staff. To the point where if a staff member was assaulted, the other kids would be like looking at that kid going, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You don't talk to staff like that. You don't, you don't assault a staff member. They would, you know, there's, room, there's stories and what have you about kids getting beaten up because they were disrespectful to their staff and disrespectful to women's staff, mm. female staff. And, yeah, it's like that old school staunch mentality that um, almost like that that kind of underbelly type characters yeah. that were within the young people, um, you know, like they would, they would walk around and like just you know, they carried themselves mm-hmm. and they would, but they had as, as, as probably fucked up as they were, they had their own set of morals. Yeah. Um, that, like what values. you said, their values, yeah. different yeah. flavours. And, and that's what, you know, you used to see is the 14-year-old dudes, they'd be, like, mm. coming in because they did a crime with other guys and they didn't rat on it. Nah. Yeah. You yeah, know, and right. I had the utmost respect for them for that, you know. Yeah. Like, they were doing they were doing the wrong things for the right mm. reasons. Mm. Yeah. You know, and there's intent and impact. And their intent, a lot of the time, is really, really clean. Mm. You know, and then put in, look into the situation of, what 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 framework did they have to work with? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it wasn't a lot. You know, yeah. and, and what frameworks were were did they get thrown out of? Mm-hmm. Did they get shunned from? You know, did they get did they get mixed messages from? You know, mm-hmm. within the education justice system. So mm-hmm. they really, you know, they did they did a lot of good, but they just didn't know how they kind of execute it. it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And when they changed models yeah. and reframed it, yeah. they were able, and that's what it was so, so cool to hear that, you know, a lot of young people who've worked with, I don't know, I've heard from other um, workers and stuff who've heard about being friends on Facebook and stuff, and you mm. hear about kids having babies. Mm. Yeah. Kids have got careers, kids have got businesses or bought, yeah. bought, bought houses. Absolutely. You know? And it's just, it's that, that teenage self, you know, mm. and a lack of support. It really, really puts a person to be isolated. Yeah. And makes some really fucked up decisions, you know, yeah. for self and other that they don't, didn't want to or didn't mean to. Yeah. You know, and then there wasn't a lot of supports around that, you know. Mm. Mm. In regards to, like, the day-to-day of it, the precincts, speaking from when I was working there, still, and I would say they've added a few parts to it since then when I visited young people and what have you, but essentially the breakdown was that there was a remand Okay. There was the, which was separated by a big fence. There was the sentenced area, which was separated by another big fence, a big wall. That's why over the wall comes from, which had four units, which were all sentenced units. And there was another precinct again, which was young men's and women's, um, which was separated by another fence. Um, and it, at the time, the four units that were behind the wall, as they were called, were all sentenced units. So the concept of going over the wall was that you were that you were moving from remand that you'd now been sentenced and you're going over the wall right. to the to the sentenced area 
which was like, you know, it's like a bit more serious where the big boys are. And, yeah, and then when they even in that had its own set of units, um, which had a, um, a hierarchy amongst them. Um, like Eastern Hill sat up higher within the precinct, yeah. um, kind of overlooked the other units and that for as far as, as long as I ever knew it was the the unit that they called it maximum security, which is bullshit. It's just that their um, basketball court had a fence around yeah. it. <laughs> that, was, that was about it. Um, I mean, if you can't play ball, we yeah. play ball. Because uh, you know, the other ones didn't at the time. So yeah. you could walk amongst them. Mm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Eastern Hills had a, um, had a fence around it. But it, it was uh, it was a it was a um, what would you say like a notoriety or something to have made it to have made it to the hill, right? You know, I'm in the hill. Or if you're in the community, oh, what, you, what unit were you in? Oh, I was in the hill. Oh fuck! All right, he's a heavy character. Big dog. Big dog in there. But the yeah. hill, the kids in the hill. Whenever I worked there, um, they kind of knew that this was the case and would make fun of of the fact that they knew that all the other kids were shit scared of them. Right. And I remember, do you remember the little walkway between the main part of the precincts? Yeah, that led past Eastern Hill yeah. up to up to the Oval and the kids would be there and you'd almost like have to stop yourself from laughing and they would say the most obnoxious, like horrible things to these other scared little kids walking, not even oh, that little bit, like definitely, definitely less like uh, less um, sort of... Uh, Intimidating as these yeah, kids are in the order. and they would bark at them like dogs. <gasps> they'll be there, whoa, 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 and come to the hill, and they would just they walk around and start yeah. laughing at these. Shitheads. Yeah, but they just winding kids you'd up. Get back to the other units, and then you'd see that hierarchy played out with the fifteen young people in the unit. Yeah, yeah. You know, same way where you'd have a couple at the top of the natural yeah. hierarchy, and then the other guys who were more vulnerable. Mm. You know, and then see it played out in, in those ways. Mm. It's like. It's obviously not like healthy, but at the same time, you develop like a pretty dark humor pretty quickly in there, and there's a lot of things that are pretty funny. But like in there, it's pretty like it is a really it can be a really fun place to work in a positive place. Like we used to do this. Um, do you remember Friday night footy? Yeah, yeah. So Friday night after so lockdown was from four to four thirty. I probably went a little longer, to be fair. Um, and lockdown is them in their room. Yeah, for a team meeting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Every day you had lockdown um, for four to four thirty, and then uh, on Fridays the kids that were like on the highest behavioural management level in terms of like you get points for behaviour essentially, like a mm. gold, silver, bronze thing. Mm. If you were on the top level, you're allowed to go with the other kids and go and play footy on the oval. And um, it was this same thing that was that was set up by the staff, but the behaviour within the program was governed by the young people. So we would have kids that were from rival gangs, if you wanted to call them that, or different areas and nationalities that you know or that you knew had beef with each other. Mm. But there was this unsaid agreement that if anyone went to Friday night footy and got into a fight, that there would be problems because you knew that that you'd be fucking it up for everybody else. Right. So we're going to go there, we're going to play footy and leave your differences somewhere else. Yeah. Which is the mentality shift in my opinion anyway, that is probably not long, no longer there with mm. with a lot of the young people, like the ability to kind of hold those those old school kind of mentalities or morals and things. Mm. Um, I think it's definitely something we've lost and that's even something that I, I note in the community. That's something that I feel we used to have a lot more of that we don't necessarily have now. Mm. Um, but it's funny you know that because I do remember when I first came um, out of corrections and was going into Parkville, they sort of take you through your scanners, you do your body scan, whatever else, and they just open the door for you about follow the yellow line yeah, or yeah. wherever you had to go. And there's yeah. me walking through the prison like, what the fuck are 
am I doing? Yeah. Like, who's left me out here to my own devices? Yeah. Um, and, and pre that, the only prisons I've been in were adult prisons where you were escorted everywhere. Mm, and that was the walkie-talkie business and whatever. So I think for me as a fresh worker coming into the youth sector was like, hmm. I don't know what I'm doing, but now, mm. you know, I've been there um, most recently and you're escorted everywhere. You have to wait yeah. for a person to come pick you up. Then you radioed in, you're taken through the doors. It swipe is like it's all, mm. now you're sort of not left to your own. Scan your eyes like Batman. Yeah, yeah, but my eyes never scan. I don't know what's wrong with them. Yeah, right. I have a bit of an issue getting in there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely a shift that I've even seen, not working there, mm. just being a patron. Patron? Am I a patron that sure. goes in there? Um, a member of the community? Yeah, I'm a visitor. Yeah. You know, just yeah. even going in. Yeah, yeah. But it's a cool place. And I, like, I always tell, I used to tell people when people would say to me, um, that I like how, how, what, my friend, or I'm thinking about getting into youth work and what have you, where do you think that I should start? Mm. I used to say, like, go start in Resi or go start at Parkville. Um, I'm hesitant to say Parkville these days only because mm. I haven't worked there for a while. And what I hear, it's not the best, but we'll leave that there. But, um, but certainly I learned heaps. Like, I think I learned a lot about, Work, obviously working with young people, yeah. building relationships, working with others because it's a team environment 100%. Mm. You've got um, around six people on shift with you in the unit. Mm. And then when it came to, you know, physical, inc- uh, um, like violent incidents, fights, what have you, it was, there was a team approach to breaking those up. Um, unfortunately, there was like a, a, you had to restrain kids, mm. um, but only when necessary. Um, but I learned heaps about myself. Like heaps about myself. I overcame, um, like I, I had and still have like a lot of self-confidence sort of issues that I had to deal with on a constant basis there because people would challenge, like the young people would, because that's one thing that we can all probably acknowledge, like how good they are reading you. And I think yeah. you said something earlier, Dan, about um, their emotional intelligence. Yeah, um, yeah out of necessity. Out of necessity. Yeah. And they maintain that in there. Um then, um, you know, they can pick you for different things. They can find your triggers and that sort of stuff. And I, I remember driving home because for me it was about an hour to get home, having to do pretty, like, frequently enough, like, positive self-talk, just being like, you're not like these, like, ridiculous things that the kids would say. But even though they're, like, you know, they're kids, young people, whatever, and I was in a position as a worker, but it, mm. would, it could get in there, get into yeah. your head or you'd question this or that and... Um, but yeah, I learned heaps. I learned heaps about yeah, working with working with other people, working with young people. The the best was like um, playing cards, playing table tennis with young people, and you would sit there and you would just you know, ah, oh, so where are you from? Oh, you know, um, Brunswick. Oh yeah, and you just sit there and play, and you'd do a full session and learn all this information. It's yeah. like the car ride, yeah, the case managers, you know, it's the it's driving. The driving for us community folk. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you just sit there and talk to them, and and that. Yeah, and I think when you deal with enough pretty serious characters, even though it's in there and it's in a contained environment, gives you the confidence to yeah. to sort of deal with people and meet people in the community as well. Oh, big time. One, one of the biggest things I learned there, if not the biggest, is that if other people people give us you know, resistance, abuse or, or trauma, that's from there yesterday. Mm. You know, it's not against the, against us, and that's a, it's either a form of hopefully them being able to relieve that, you know, and get it out in a safe harbour, a safe space, um, or, or to be able to relieve it, and then because we've got a relationship, that they're able to then take and they're like think about that and go, shit, that's maybe not. I didn't want to do that to Daniel. I didn't want to do that to Josh. You know, like they'll reflect on it and mm. then learn how to maybe not do that um, to people that they don't want to. 
you know, to do it when they want to do it, you know, because they need to sometimes get that out. It's a natural progression, but if we can get it out in safer ways, mm. all for that. Mm. Yeah. It was a good environment for that rupture repair relationship stuff. Like mm. at, at a minimum, you were back the very next day. Even, and if you were working on the same unit consistently, at a maximum you had two days off before you came back and were yeah, able to... Yeah. And you would most likely try and rebuild that relationship before you went home on the last day of your shift because yeah. you do two on, two off, three on, two off sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it was such a good environment for that because you could where you, you could be there to go again and yeah. again with that young person. And, 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 and massively to not over-invest into a situation. Mm. You know, there was, and we say it in training, like every, every youth worker has had an issue incident on the Thursday and, and then been stressed about it on the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, whether it be management calling them or their relationship with the young person. They hit the unit on Monday, no one gave a fuck. Mm. There have been 10, 12 other incidents in between then. So, you know, for us not to overinvest in what we think is going to happen, what we think other people are going through and being able to, you know, be present and get into that conversation because that gets it off our chest. Yeah. You know, and be able to talk about those things and actually learn to be the person who, who, who promotes the conversation. You know, mm. a lot in life we, we, we wait for the other person to apologise first. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful skill to learn that, you know, we, we're the ones, if we want that relationship, you know, I had to learn out of profession, but mm. took that into, you know, personal life, into, you know, making the approach or talking or the apology. Even if I did feel it wasn't my fault, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm apologising for the, for, the, for the things that happened between us, you know, mm. for the breakdown, the, the, the emotional impact or whatever, you know. So that was a huge, huge learning for, 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 for us to be able to be on the front foot of, you know, being communicate, have flexible, communi- to have the ability to be flexible with our communication. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, to be able to be able to reflect off that and look at the benefits and it's always, you know, kind of benefit focused. Mm. Yeah. I just had a thought as you were talking, the reason why we had, um, why probably a lot of people that work in custody, especially youth justice has the ability to work on that stuff is because you're doing it like 50 times a day, aren't yeah. you? You're yeah. constantly having these conversations and pulling kids up about things, rupture repair, rupture repair, like yeah. go to timeout, come out of timeout, let's talk about it. Like I had to restrain you, do you know why? Like so many times and in one day and in the community you, you might do it a couple of times in a day mm. or whatever, but in there it's forced upon you that you're just doing this thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I've only thought about that just then. We had a lot of practice. Yeah, a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> and then that turning, like you said, self-reflection. Mm. You know, a lot of, lot of workers... Um, don't know with a lot of workers and in any job feel like we're doing nothing. Yeah. And that's usually actually when we're doing most. Absolutely. You know, it's just that you're doing so much, you can't actually take that step back to identify and really look or even ask people and go, how are how are they? People will, people will talk system up or talk workers up, you know, like we can't believe, you know. So, and that's where asking the question as, as a, what, a um, service provider, you know, going into schools and asking young people about what they think about teachers in front of teachers and the mm. teachers are like, what? I thought you hated me, you know? I thought you yeah. guys just, they had this really negative um, uh, perception, misperception of, of, of the person that they were presenting, mm. you know, and it was the complete opposite. And then when that happens, you see that relationship or that worker just going, no, nah, I've got my shit and that's what every worker's got. That's why they were hired for the job. Mm. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. Sometimes we get... 
we know we, we fall vulnerable to the role, you mm. know, and start to then fulfil the role. And then that's where I think sometimes the, the breakdowns can, can happen from there. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to hear a fun fact that I like to tell people about Parkville? And I don't know if you've experienced this, but for me, like a lot of kids play, so a lot of kids play a game called 13 card game. Okay. Um, it's a bit complicated to explain the rules in a podcast, but it's, um, yeah, they play a card game, table tennis, and a lot of kids play chess. Right. And I found that a lot of the kids that were really, really good at chess were also the kids that were the the masterminds behind wow. the, um, how would you say it? Yeah, they're, either their offence or the, the, the goings on in the unit. Oh, nice. You know? Yeah. Like I remember there's this one kid who was a gun at chess. Yep. Right? And every time some kid got dog shot by some other kid or some kid got beat up or something, he's on the phone. He's talking on the phone. He's you know? nowhere near he's the nowhere drama. He's nowhere near it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, and I mean, when you think about it, step chess, you know, and I don't play, but it's, it's about being a few yeah. steps yeah. ahead and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you would sit there and, and I was like, hang on a second, every unit I go to, there's these particular kids that are good at chess and we also know whether, and we can't prove it, but absolutely are you mm. the kid that goes on behind all this shit that goes on the unit? It's really interesting you say yeah. that because we've got a chess board. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm thinking, because there's very few young people I've engaged in um, in the space that mm. have played chess or know how to play chess. Mm. Definitely intrigue about chess, but actually know how to play the game. Um, and there's the ones that I'm thinking of, yeah, align mm. with your theory. Mm. Yeah. Which is interesting, Did you ever know isn't it? No, I didn't play chess. I was, yeah. like, uh, like, I wasn't a tactician enough. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I never played either. It was an observation That's walking cool. around. But, yeah, they're yeah. always the – and you could probably think maybe yeah. some of the characters that you can think of that were always um, Keep playing chess. Keep an eye chess. out for those chess players. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense, but – It does. Um, and yeah. people also found, too, within, you know, the, the young people who fitted into that kind of, you know, personality – that they um they're leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Natural leaders. Yeah. Yeah. They give them opportunities in community, they will step the fuck up mm. and then smash it and go even higher than whatever our expectations even of self could be. Yeah. yeah. You know, very, very um intuitive, resilient and um intelligent, you know, intelligent young people. Mm. Absolutely. We often say, imagine if you could take the, that behavior or that thing that you're doing and tilt it to a pro-social activity instead Absolutely. of, you know, they're just like hustlers. They Absolutely. really are. Yeah. And it's such an amazing trait to have. Mm. Yeah. And if, if you could point that, like you said, they, they are the leaders. They're the go-getters. Yeah. They're the ones that get shit done. Mm. It's um, If we could pivot that away from, you know, the negative stuff yeah. and to the positive stuff, mm. the, the potential of the shit they could achieve is phenomenal. Mm. And that kind of brings up another thing of where we're talking about with... Um, with you know, young person abusing staff member. Yeah. A lot of the time that was just test. Yeah. You know, it was just testing the staff member out to see, you know, do you can I really trust you to take care of me? Mm. You know, can I trust you to take care of me within this unit, my mm. needs, you know, and then and then once people were able to prove themselves or be genuine, mm. you know, it wasn't about a physical protection thing. It was about emotional, mm. you know, being able to protect my emotional needs for the young person. And you saw them, you know, have relationships with different ages, different cultures, and sometimes the best thing was to see, you know, people who I thought I worked with, I thought, wow, man, you're harsh as, you know, but the kids loved them because yeah. they knew where the boundaries were. Yeah. They knew who the person was. Predictable. And that, yeah, the worker, professional worker was very aligned with that person. 
their individual, their, their, their personal traits. So, yeah, that was just huge, 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 um, huge to see and learn from because we actually, it's just a social, social thing too. Mm. Mm. I remember there was this, this one particular young person who was a fairly heavy kind of character. We always had a great relationship, never a problem. And, um, he used to like make fun of me because I'd yell at him, mm-hmm. and he'd be like, "He used to get like I think I I think I must have seen him in the community, or he was on another unit, and I'd seen him or whatever." And he's like, "He used to yell at me all the time." And I said, "Yeah, because you used to piss me off." <laughs> and he goes, "Why?" And I, because you, I go, "You you are, you're so capable, and yeah. you could do the right the right thing." I said, "But you constantly make this decision, or I shouldn't say you make this decision, but you constantly end up getting yourself in trouble." Yeah, and you just piss me off, and and so I just so I, yeah, I yell at you. Like a like a yeah. father son type thing. Yeah. Um, and then I ran into him not long ago, and we were chatting, and he was telling me that he's married, got kids, working. <gasps> yeah. And I said, I always knew. I said you were one of the kids I was never worried about. Yep. I said your little yep. shit used to piss me off and what have you, yep. but I was never worried that you would figure it out. Um, so it was awesome to chat to him and see him and stuff, which is cool. But um, yeah, it's funny. He was used to yell at me. And that was another <laughs> thing, you know. I guess you know where you know, the reasons for a young person, what we think is a bad decision, mm. is that they were either, like, keeping or saving face. Yeah. You know, in front of the other young people. And I can't remember, it was on Barnett Unit where a young bloke, he, we, had, we had to ask him to go and do time out. That's time in his room with the door open. Um, and that's usually just, it's a reset. That's yeah. a reset yeah. mode, you know. You go chill out, you know, collect your thoughts, get away from the unit, Um and he refused. He's just sitting like, like just like a rock on the chair, you know. And I'm asking him. We had all the other young boys come because we we're about to go home for lunch. Other young men in there in the room, and and I had an awesome relationship with him. He was a Pacific Islander young bloke, and and he's just wouldn't even look at me. Just straight, just looking straight, ignoring me. And I've tried to, hey mate, come on, all the nice stuff, and sat down next to him. Doesn't try it, da da da. And then um, and we had another lady. Um, and I'm going to mention her name, Lady Lasker, you know, Nana Lasker, and she was a beautiful lady who we used to work with. And um, I've gone, Lasker, you know, can you can you speak to him? Lasker, straight up to him, stands up. She had a coffee in hand. Right first, she goes, three cups, eh? She yeah. used, to, used, to, used to stack her cups up to make. I don't know why. It must be because it was hot. <laughs> You'd always have like three <laughs> paper cups, three paper cups full. Yeah. Big shout out to Alaska. Yeah. Um, we miss you. And um, she she goes, can you please go to your room? Bloke just stands up and walks straight to his room. Yeah, and, and that one was like gender, you know, where yeah. a male asking him in front of people, mm. he just, that was his set of values. Yeah. You know? So, and that's where working in teams and, and having different people and different relationships really benefits a shift. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing about here about now, which is, you know, really unfortunate is a lot of the time on the units, they're understaffed. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you yeah, really bring rotations. up the unit, you know, it's just a long time to like phone answers because people have to remain safe on their unit, yeah. you know, for themselves and the people they're working with. Mm. So, you know, it's the, 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 the means, uh, I think one of the breakdowns in, in, in Parkville or one of the reasons why, you know, people, why we wouldn't advise people to work there, it's not mm. the place, it's no. like the operations of just staff and that just comes to, you know, um, comes out to fruition on the units to everyone having to kind of um, defend or just work for the moment, mm. you know, and that, that puts people in positions. Mm. And I think that's hard for workers like us that, you know, the relationship approach, the relationship-based approach is so massive to build that rapport and to have a genuine connection with that young person 
you know, with what with things like what you're saying is, you know, your values, they might not line up exactly, they're different flavours, but that's okay. At the end of the day, they do marry up, you know, um, and to have that with young people is actually so pivotal for the work and to not be able to have that, to be working, I guess, realistically, reactively, constantly in the, in the moment and not being able to be proactive and to think of the longevity of things or, you know, where could this conversation take us in a week from now? If you're thinking five minutes in your safety... The work's never going to be productive like that. Mm. So it's sad to hear that it was very awesome, I guess, from your yeah. reflections and even watching you two talk about it. It's quite happy and exciting memories to, to reflect yeah, back it on. Was. It's sad to see that it's it's almost like it's moved. There's definitely a, a thing in the sector of youth justice being the, the coddlers and the warm and fuzzy and, and when you're an adult, you corrections, you, you know, that's the hard stuff. Mm. And it's sad to think that that's we're all just going to the hard stuff now because mm. you know we work yeah. with young people that you know they're all different we can't pigeonhole them they all come with their own backgrounds their own cultures mm. their own um you know traumas their own histories and to be able to say one size fits all mm. you know you're going to be on rotations all day because you've been a shit today um mm. it just it's sad I think that yeah. makes me sad makes mm. my heart beat heavy I guess it's it's so it's a little frustrating because I totally agree with you, and it's the system just kind of lets everything down. There needs to be a middle ground. Mm. I whenever anyone asks me to talk about like the youth justice versus adult corrections, yeah, the problem I have with it is it is, it, is that there is no middle ground, and I say that it gives young people the false sense of prison because mm-hmm. you go from black to white, mm. like you just go from. Well, probably, yeah, like, yeah, you just, it's from one to the other and there's no middle ground. There used to be Malmesbury, which was maybe a middle ground and it's not anymore. So you get a young person who gets charged with X, Y, and Z and they go to Parkville for six months when they're 17. They go out, they get out and they're 18 or they're 19 and they do exactly X, Y, and Z again. Mm. And you're looking at potentially years in prison, you yeah. know, and it's... Uh, in a much harder space But then how well. do you how do you do youth justice with, like, how do you treat the youth like um, like you would in an adult prison, you shouldn't. It's that's not going to help either. Yeah. It's you know, and the, all of this conversation and this sort of stuff is is part of because I I found in the end um, for me the reason I left is I felt like I wasn't being able to be productive and um, like I wasn't able to support young people the way I wanted to, the way that I wanted to anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at another way to get back to the the roots of being a youth worker. Yeah. And and that, so that was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that really changed now now talking you know and thinking of thinking reflecting is um, the gangs the situation with gangs where a lot of when it really first started it was individuals coming in and now you've got young people collectively coming in in groups mm. um, and also just that impact of hearing that. You know, some of the youth gangs are, 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 um, are connected to the adult gangs. Yeah. Mm. So, therefore, then you've got this, yeah, they're, they're playing the same game as the adults, but then having the different different experiences in terms of the responses. Yeah. And that can set up a false kind of... Uh, uh, false pretense for for what can happen in, in, in terms of them not really seeing the serious, where things can go in the future and, you, you know, if near future when they do tip over that age, mm. that yeah. age gap. Mm. Um, shifting to the work you're doing at the moment, so you're doing a lot of stuff around men's behavioural change programs? Yes. Do. Can you, I think, I feel like that family violence at the moment is something that gets talked about a lot and it should be, obviously, mm. and along with that, some of the things that... Um, that gets talked about is ways that 
um, services to supporting people going through family violence. And one of them is men's behavioural change programs. It seems to be like a bit of a blanket or an umbrella term. Mm. What does it mean? What is a men, what is a men's behavioural change program? So um, men's behaviour change programs are really, they're traditionally from what, I, what I've what i been exposed to, yeah. um, 12-week programs that really look at and unpack the drivers of violence for the person, mm. their understanding of violence, um, where, they, where they got their, I guess, their habits around conflict management, mm. being able to settle dispute um, and also relationships. Uh, and it's, it's that safe harbour. You know, to be able to go through a lot of a lot of topics which are relationship based, and what we saw, what we've seen within the groups is is a men because it was through corrections. A lot of the men were doing it because they had to they had to get that piece of paper, and that's mm. what, exactly what they said. I'm only doing this for the fucking piece of paper. First mm. session, and by the end of the first session, um, they realised that that program is about building empathy. You know, and and when they were able to be acknowledged, understood validated for their um, for their upbringing they were able to you know to look at back and go holy shit like their behaviors that they brought out in 2019 or 20 that was a framework that they brought up in the 60s or 70s and 80s you know so that took the the blame away from self because mm-hmm. if we, we we're in the unknown and we're our, our behaviors and we don't know where we, or an illness even you know we don't know us from that that makes it oh we're like oh so it's it's the reason I don't concentrate is ADHD oh now it's not just me yeah you know? so it takes that I'm not that, the that only one judgment mm. yeah that, and, and it's a term of victim blaming yeah you know where we, they, we, they, were, they were really heavy on victim blaming and all of those I guess um ideas got um got uplifted along with a number of strategies to be able to you know, redo their their relationships in terms of communication, um, restoration of a relationship, um, promotion of their relationships that they've got, uh, and they were able to really, um, you know, just make different decisions. It, one, one of the biggest things, and that's where I really wanted to move into um, to doing, you know, a Facebook Live thing every, every I wanted to call it Mental Health Mondays. We're doing um, uh, Facebook Live from a different pub, club or place over Victoria and then hopefully to go Australia-wide is to have a conversation in, you know, an hour or hour or so in different demographics to uh, open up the dialogue mm. for, for people to talk about different things because we found that the okay. men who were coming in saying, fuck this program, after week one or two, we'd finish at 830 and they'd be standing out the front in the middle of winter with yeah. six of the other guys in the program until 10.30 at night. Mm. And then when we came... Positively? Positively. Uh, yeah. yeah. Being they, because we mm. had the safe harbour for yeah. two hours and mm. then they continued because they had a reference point of language cool. to have. And then, we, unfortunately, you know, sadly and awesomely at the same time, we saw tears at the end of the program because, you know, it was, it was like we dangled a carrot of, of like, hope, <laughs> you know, for 12 weeks yeah. and then took it away. Yeah. You know? and, and that was very unfortunate. And added to that, the men actually had to had to offend to get to that program. Mm. Yeah. And that that's the crime. Yeah. You know, for the people have got to. So that's why I really want to, you know, to do that, to do that stuff so that we can present the information. People have got a, a regular current 
safe harbour to tap into, whether it be on the Monday night or then we put it up on YouTube or whatever, and then they can just tap into it and big or even bigger or as big, refer to others. Yeah. You know, because if they're, they're trusting and it's my mate who I'm fuck that stuff too, you know, and then my mate says it. And I, I know he was saying fuck that last week. I'm, I'm a chance to listen to it now. Yeah, you know, and if I can do that, and then that's where we get our referrals for that that kind of stuff. So, mm. um, really, it's a great program um, that that can always be done better. Mm. You know, always be done better. Um, but really, really, really uh, has a big impact on on men re- redefining the, the the relationship with self and others. You know? Yeah. But one thing was you now, and I've got to say it, like because one by the second or third time I did it, it was a common theme was. A lot of people were spending a shitload of money, yeah, and a hell of a lot of time to get to men's men's behaviour change program. I actually asked one of the groups collectively, how much time have we have 12, 13 people been waiting for in this room? And how much money have you collectively spent? And these are blue-collar guys, plumbers, tradies, just the next guy on the train or the next guy in traffic, you know. And it was um, it was about two to three million dollars of their fines and their court costs, you know, that they've spent. Oh, I see what you're saying. Five or six years of waiting time. Yeah. Yeah. These are barriers mm. for people to get to a program. And a lot of them, after, so that means people have been in, in they collectively been so called supported for five years and $2 million later, and they're still, they're still fresh saying fuck you to a program. Mm. You know, so really, you know, really, really want. That's why I don't know what I felt is like that we're not working together. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're different psychs and different responses and police and courts and da, 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 and in youth justice works and program providers. Mm. We're working differently, you know, separately towards that same cause. And they're some of our most crucial, some of our most crucial work because they're parents. Mm-hmm. You know, they're parents and they're partners. And that has just a huge ripple effect into the society, into either to the, to victims or to them being role models mm-hmm. and frameworks that are set in their environment. You know? Yeah. So you were saying before uh, the quilt program, is that um, a program running men's behavioural change programs itself? It's, um, well, it mirrors and it does has the same intentions. That's okay. a gender equality and family violence program that, um, that, that, that developed and de- um, de- developed and delivered on behalf and with uh, Victorian Rugby Union. Yeah. And um, that was an awesome. And um, Tim North, who he's, he was a Victoria, president for Victorian Rugby Union, he's just uh, just finished up this week and I've got to give a shout out to him because he, he provided us with the opportunity to be able to, to, to do that. Um, and, and it worked. And what we did is we had, um, we had well, 100 young people in the room and adults and even, you know, some of the people's uh, children who were like 10 and 8. Wow. And we did the program and everybody values aligned. You know, you just mm-hmm. got on the same page and were able to just understand that they're, that we're all victims. Mm. You know, we're victims of a, of a framework and a system which is, is at hand, but not with the intentions of setting us up. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's just the natural circumstances and it is our progression that we're working with because 10 years ago we didn't even have, you know, these forms of programs mm. and we definitely didn't have the investment in the programs mm. that the society does now. So mm. um, that, that's, that was an awesome uh, privilege, you know, to be able to work with the, the cool program, to be a part of that and actually one of the things which have been um, thinking about, you, you would have seen, as you said, you saw on... Um, 
mental around mental health. I was at Box Hill Rugby Club a few weeks ago doing a talk with Michael Ray, and he's he's been great to work with. He's a uh, he's a single father who really advocates for for gender equality, especially around single male parenting. Um, you know, and I guess the limitations and barriers, stigmas around that. Mm. How fantastic is that? I was about to say because you always hear of young mum programs, mm-hmm. and you never hear of young mm. dad programs or single dad programs. Big time. That's mm. that's massive. That's awesome. Yeah, and the, and the biggest things that you know to really learn from from that is that the you know when when a, when a male dad is promoted and said, "Oh, you're so great of doing that," that is a reverse impact on a female who may not want to. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of female parents who, who mothers who who didn't who weren't up for mothering, who didn't want to and don't have to be. You know, yeah. there's things about motherhood that that are that are seen to be maternal. Um, and I feel actually paternal. Mm. However, there's certain maternal things that we're part of our language can never be fucked with by males, you know, mm. never be achieved and don't want to be. There's a relationship we've all got to our mother or a person got to a mother, which we just simply can't have to dad. Mm. Yeah. Dad's got also the same things for mum, you mm. know, that mum can't have. So it's not, a, it's not a competition. It's just about, you know, different frameworks and people not feeling that expectation to feel that they have to or they're a bad parent because yeah. of their gender. You yeah, know, and, their gen- and the parenting responsibilities come from that, and that's one big thing that Michael really, really promotes. And we're, we're um, Box Hill the other week doing a mental health awareness like, session, and that is really targeted at that was targeted at our over thirty five demographic mm. because you know, they, they are they are one of our most vulnerable groups that do not speak, that mm. do not talk, or have a lot of stigmas around and limited supports and frameworks on how to mm. and who to talk about things, mm. um, and. So that was, that's where actually we want to be, I guess, expanding mm. and adding to the quilt program. I guess I, I, ignorantly, you know, two or three weeks ago, I was saying to myself that I wanted and, I, you know, started to have conversations around transforming the, the quilt program from a gender equality program and, and family violence into a mental health because... I believe that mental health drives those two. Mm. You know, when we have we have a lack of, oh no, sorry, when when our mental health isn't uh, as as aligned with ourselves yeah. as it can be, yeah. judgments come in. Hundred percent. You know, so and then and then they start to to be relieved or, li- or limited uh, when we start to have better mental health. Mm. And when we treat ourselves better, we treat others better. Mm. So it was under the uh, you know the idea of that. However, kind of pulled back on that because in no way do I want to undermine the quilt program, mm-hmm. gender equality and family violence, violence against yeah. women, you know, the core of that. So I'm actually, yeah, I'm hoping to speak with the rebels, the female rebels team mm-hmm. uh, around that because, you know, that was one thing I know that we could have done better. I could have done better, should have done better with that program because I didn't consult enough females. Yeah, okay. You know? So, and that's where it's not, not hard on myself. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because if I was, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get in the mode of doing, you know, so yeah. and, and being open and honest with it, you know. So yeah, yeah that's that's something for the near future. Mm. Um, and and the idea is about us having um, a platform to talk and share discussions around mm. ideas, mm. you know, and not having a, a bad guy or a, or a wrong act. It is an act which is usually, especially reasonable, you know. When whenever we hear about a person, we think, oh man, why did they do that? And then we hear about their circumstances and we go, shit, 
How did you yeah. not do it sooner? Mm. You know, like, yeah, it's, and they're totally reasonable you yeah. know, in, in, in what they did. Not acceptable all the time, but reasonable. There's yeah. a real big difference. So mm. that empathy um, is a big, is, is the spine of the program, you know, and then just that safe space for us to be able to talk and also have fun. People walk into a room unknowingly with a whole lot of shit on our shoulders, pulling mm. us down, and we're able to share and, and, and the biggest thing as a facilitator, ask the question. Yeah. Ask the question to the audience. They already know. Mm. You know. It's very important for the individuals to put their hand up and say, yeah, 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 and for us to go, that's the one, that's right, that's what we're talking about. I know that that person will lock it in for self, for life, mm. and others will then lock it in, in their yeah. way, you know. So as a presenter, if I go and just talk, it just becomes me talking shit. And it's not Daniel's stuff. It is all of our ideas. Yeah. And, in, and then with the topic of mental health well-being, you know, violence against women or anti-bullying, yeah. respect for relationships. It's something that I think um, is, is, is coming a long, 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 long way. There's a lot of longs there. Um, huge. Huge longs. Um, <laughs> longs. Finding the space for men to have those yeah. conversations about mental health, like, so full disclosure, so I was I was seeking some support sort of partway through last year and I didn't want to have to go through like a, like a, I have done, but I didn't want to have to go through again a counselling type psychologist option. Yeah. I kind of wanted just a supportive group of people, supportive mm. group of guys mm. to just go, you know what, this is what's going on for me, like get a whole bunch of shit off my chest yeah. and 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 then get something back from it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I posted uh, on on a particular Facebook group said I kind of am looking for AA, but for just like just mental health general men's shit. Mm-hmm. And the only things I could find looking and the only things that were kind of suggested were like really loose. Like there was men's behavioural change programs, which mm-hmm. I was accessing through the community services that I work alongside. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like they kind of met my needs. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a couple like church-based things. Um, and there was a couple others that I was just like, I'm not sure. And I just wanted like, like I said, I just wanted a room to walk into if it was today and then for the next three days, or maybe I didn't come back for a week or whatever. I just wanted a room to walk into surrounded by some people that were happy to listen and give me some things back. And alongside that, which is really cool. I don't know if, if you've seen it, but there's a Facebook group called blokes advice and it's, you might've seen it. It's a lot of it is a bit, um, you know, like girls and stuff like that and, and what have you. But another whole part of it is, and it's got over 100,000 members wow. yeah, and huge. I've seen a, so many posts on there, a guy, hey, I'm in a really low point. Um, actually, one example, right, this wasn't that long ago, a guy put up there, I think it was Ozzy Osbourne or someone was touring in Melbourne. Hey, guys, I'm really struggling with my mental health tonight. I've got two tickets to, to go to Ozzy Osbourne if anyone wants them. And I'm not kidding, 100, 150 comments in replies just saying, mate, like, it'll be all right. Go, you'll have a good time. I've PM'd you. I've PM'd you. I've sent you a message. This is my number. Give me a call. I'll, like, like, and other ones, like, uh, they'll be talking about an issue that they're having with their partner or another guy posted, hey, I need some advice around supporting my mm. kids or getting custody of my kids. Hundreds of replies from blokes to blokes all across Australia, because it's Australian-based, just positive, positivity, and it was amazing to just look through it and, like, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And, yes, absolutely, uh, is it a pretty, um, um, 
anonymous space, obviously Facebook, and yeah, your picture's there and your name's there and what have you. But what a huge step, in my opinion, that we can have a space like that. And these blokes, a lot of these blokes are tradies, are like, yeah. you know, stereotypical bogan Aussies, and there's nothing wrong with that. But are, are actually taking that step to go on there, write that thing down, putting it out there to 100,000 people, knowing that you could get some shit back. And then getting all of these massively positive comments in reply. Like, I'm banging on about it, but it's just so cool. No, because it's awesome. And, and, yeah, I just don't think there's as many spaces as, as there could be. Oh, big time. And you hit on the head. It's, like, it's the opportunity to do it. Mm. Everybody's got it in them and we all want to do it, mm. especially when we see a person in need. And everybody's got the skills and tools, you know. It's, it's just having that platform to be able to do that. And that's why, you know, things like that are so crucial and important. Yeah, mm. and if you can use Facebook as a tool like that and get the support you need, and if that's if if that is enough, then like you might not need to go to ED. You might not need to see a psycholog- psychologist or psychiatrist or see a counsellor or book in. If that if doing that and then getting the response you need from that is enough to support you and your mental health in that moment, or to to be the first step, like how how cool is that? Like it's just yeah, it kind of blew me away, and obviously. Still can't shut the fuck up about it, but and that's one of the things, I guess, the limitations and barriers with a lot of programs that you know that I know of is that um, that there's not that like it's like a train, you know, like we want to be able to jump on and jump off when we want. Yeah, you know, and it may be two weeks where we don't need to go anywhere. We yeah. need to go there in two weeks. Yeah. That's such a good way to put it. So, like, we yeah. want to yeah, create, that's where those, you know, the, the sessions of the Monday, mental health, mental health Mondays, want people to be able to come on when they want, mm. jump off when they want. If you want to be there every week, we want you there. Mm. Yeah. But crucial that we, the people know that we always want you. Yeah. yeah. The train's yeah. always running. Yeah. And if you need to go, then you can go. And if you don't, you've always got, you've always got the ability to get on it. It's yeah. such a good, And yeah. I think the core of that is that it's an obligation-free opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, I think sometimes as human beings, male or female or whatever you identify with, being able to do that and see that opportunity but not feeling forced to do that and Mm. to do that with free will actually gives you a significant level of empowerment as well. Being able to go, you know what, I don't need it this Monday, but next Monday, you know, it might have had a rough weekend, I'm going to go. And it's okay that I didn't go last week. No one's going to badger me. No one's going to be shitty with me. They're just going to welcome me. And like you said, because we always want you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's the biggest thing that when we've got people who who are coming because they know they need to come, mm. they know they need. Not we know they need. They know they need. That's work. That's yeah. our work. You know, and if we've got things around them that they're able to plug into different conversations, whereas a, a network like that by text mm. or a program to be able to listen to live mm. or be able mm. to reflect on, or programs to access, so you're talking a place where you could. Because one of the things about you know getting out to each each um, each area or each place, each different place each week, is that from that Facebook group get built, and then a local community. Then is everyone from that program yeah. knows shit. We all care. Shit, we all need help. Mm. Yeah. And now we've got a framework to work in. Mm. You know, and there's already there's men sheds, there's forms of different groups that we do not want to undermine and mm. reinvent. Mm. We want them and then them to be the leaders, those, yeah. those, those initiatives to be the leaders. So yeah. that, because people, our answers are right next to us, but we just don't know about it. Yeah. You know, and it happens a lot with workers where, yeah, we, we, we don't know because there's not, we're not working together. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we, if we can have those, it just takes a hell of a lot of the pressure off the system. Mm. You know, and a lot of front-end work where we don't have to do with people because 
people, if they do have to have a service, access a service, they'll be coming in warm. You know, if we've got yeah. groups and we've got intel, intelligence about a person, we, we as a worker, we, we should be able to be able to approach those, the, the, the initiatives or the, the groups and go, cool, what's going on? Respect with privacy and confidentiality, but it's always about the good deed. That person is always, go and speak to them. Happy for you to say whatever you want about me if, you, if they feel that you're helping. Mm. You know, so that trust and buy-in from individual and community could really, really, you know, hope to to take relieve the system, mm. you know, because there's enough funds that are either being, I guess, misdirected in terms of physical or human resources, and they're also massively limited. Mm. So we want to make the fucking best out of those and make sure they go into the most needy bases yeah. in the most effective way. Mm. You know? mm. That's awesome. I'm just like, mm. cogs are turning. It's massive. I think um, one of the biggest things that stands out for me, like you were saying before, is around, like, the old saying, it takes a village. Mm. And I think with what you're saying about, you know, all having different ideas but getting that all on the same piece of paper because at the core of it, what are we trying to achieve? Mm. And I just, I think you're, you're right, that's something that we miss. But if we're, if we're connecting all of that and coming together with that one core belief or that one core mission, yeah. what we're going to achieve will be much more dramatic. Huge, yeah. huge grounds, you know, and it's um, where we see, you know, kind of you were talking before about workers not knowing what they do. Yeah. You know, if, 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 I, if I know that if I love them a lot of money and I feel I know that if a lot of workers near the impact that they were doing, mm. they walk differently, mm. they talk differently, you know, and they really be, they back themselves. Yeah. You know, they back themselves in situations and trust their, their emotional intelligence rather than, you know, they're, they're what they've been told or taught to believe, yeah. you know, in terms of a response or, or, or anything like that. So, you know, if we can get the more natural approach, you know, mm. from people or have that space where they're validated yeah. um, and, and then seeing that that can really, it has a flow-on effect, a mm. huge flow-on effect. And sometimes that for us as well is it might be a tiny little piece of advice that you give that you don't think about yeah. ongoing or that you don't harp on ongoing. But for them, in that moment, that could be so, like, pivotal for them that that becomes something that, you know, like you were saying before, that piece of advice that at the start, the piece of advice that you got, you can't remember exactly who gave it to you, but you yeah. remember it. Big you time. remember it. And for, for you, that was massive, you know, and it, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, that coach this many years down the line actually remember saying that. Yeah. And I think we've probably all as workers got situations where a young person or you know a person you're working with will say something to you about something that you've said that's impacted them or meant something to them and I'm like fuck I don't remember saying that I'll take it though yeah I'll take it I'll take the compliment sorry I don't remember but you know there's things that at that moment that's exactly what they needed to hear and we I don't think as a, as a workforce as a community as society we acknowledge that enough mm. and it's yeah. you know one of the things that part of you said is this thing in my head that just you know, had like an internal conversation that like the work we're doing goes 80 years deep. Yeah. You know? yeah. It goes in, it's going to be in 2000 and whatever. Mm. It's, there's little things that we may have said or done, like you just said, that influence a young person, just like that person did for me. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even know about it. And the learnings, we don't have to get the, oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. I want to do that or not do that now. It's not yeah. about that. Yeah. It's the stuff that we don't know. Yeah. That's the, that's the fantasy, you know what I mean? That's the worker, you know, mm. what, we want, what we want to do and achieve. But sometimes just get we get clouded by day to day. Yeah. You know, and we, we, we mm. what's in front of us. And so we sometimes just don't see 
what we what we're part of, mm. you know, and that's individually and collectively, mm. you know, yeah. whether it be organisational agency. Mm. Parkville was the worst for that because mm-hmm. you'd do as much good work as you could, then they would go, then they would leave, and you like even if you wanted to, it would be very difficult to contact them. Yeah. Um, for, obviously, you weren't allowed, but even just <laughs> logistically, yeah. um, to contact them, so you had no idea what work you and everybody mm-hmm. else had would uh, how it would how it would play out. Mm. Then it would be black or white whether you were successful pretty much because they would either come back or they wouldn't. Mm. And then when they came back, you were a little bit disheartened because you're like, man, you're back what again. Are you doing? And I thought we would, you know, we got really far. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's even though um, despite their coming and going from being in custody, even still it might be the penny might drop when they're 25 and remember something that you said to them when they were 15. Mm. Even for me, I remember this, I tell this story sometimes to people that I had to lower my expectations and things like that around trying to see some change. I remember that the the young people, they weren't allowed to wear their hats inside the unit. So you could could wear your hat and out Mm -hmm. playing around and you take it off when you come inside. It's just, I thought it was, yeah, it's a weird rule. Pretty, like of all the things we're going to, you know, challenge and cover off here, we're going to, we're going to be worried about kids wearing hats inside. But anyway, um, we played on. Anyway, so I constantly was telling this kid to take his hat off when he came inside and he was just, you know, never did it and didn't listen, what have you. And then after a few weeks, um, I was just me const- constantly, constantly telling him, I saw him come inside and take his hat off straight away. And I was like, yes. Yeah. I was like, I've done it. We've, yeah. You know, we've made some change. And yeah. it was, that was as simple as that. But the fact that yeah, after a while, and that's something clicked. And that's, you know, the learning sometimes isn't the hat. It's just like being asked and expected. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a life lesson, which yeah. is crucial. Yeah. You know, when you wanna when you wanna have relationships or have a job in the future or yeah. you know, or, or have an intimate relationship, you know, there's a lot of those things that I think the learnings that you know we're a part of that a youth any youth worker is a part of. Um, doesn't kind of get dissected or broken down into, you know, what, what impact it actually, what impact people do. Mm. Mm. And that's the thing of the, the thing about being a youth worker is that very rarely you will ever see the majority of the work that you put in. Yeah. You rarely see it unless you happen to run into someone or you mm. hear stories and they're the best, hey, yeah. I love yeah. that. Oh, I Gold. saw old mate yeah. or... You know, I ran into whoever. Guess who I saw down the street. Yeah, and yeah. it's so cool. It's it such is. a cool thing. And also seeing the young people, with, you know, seeing them on, on the outside and they, they run up to you. you yeah. Know, yeah. Like, rah, 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 yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And it's just a, a massive compliment. Yeah, a yeah. Huge compliment, pretty cool. You know, to, and also just something nice to be a part of, you know, because mm. a lot of, I don't know, I was a bit of a different, like, kind of thing in terms of my mentality was, you know, there's there's a, sometimes a, the worker mentality. It's like us and them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, fuck, I'm them. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were my mates. They were my friends. The the young people. And in terms of the empathy, so felt kind of a lot of more aligned in ways. But I think that was only because of like people got handed a set of keys and felt they had to then be us. Mm. You know, they came in being them, mm. but then then it changed. You know, and that's where when they bought themselves. It worked. It worked a lot of the time. The young people, you know, really understood mm. and that was the work that we aspire to do or try mm. to do. Absolutely. I think the us and them mentality is a big one. Mm. The power imbalance, the I'm me, I'm the worker and you're, you know, the young person or you're the one with the issue. There's there's a massive power imbalance there mm. which 
then you get the people that thrive on it, that loved it. Mm. There's, a, there's a few of those around too, unfortunately. But I think they're in everything. And the, and, and the management, yeah, between the, that, 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 what, the gap between management and the workers, four staff, yeah. Yeah. was huge. So it was us and them again. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was... Yeah, the kids were complaining, like, hey, we complaining too, all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you want us to do about it? We fucking told him. Get in your room. Yeah. <laughs> And like, yeah, yeah, we hated doing a lot of stuff that yeah. we had to do. Yeah. And when the young people knew that, yeah. they complied. Yeah. You know, they were like, shit, we're both in this situation, you know, where we don't. Mm. And so it was when, yeah, we, if we, we presented that, like, we believed that they needed to do that because I as a work, I as a person, there was resistance in different forms. Yeah. It reminds me, I remember... Um, taking someone to Centrelink one time and it was, we'd been there for like an hour, pretty minimal in the Centrelink time frames. Um, but we went to um, obviously get some payments or whatever. I can't remember exactly what we were doing there. And the young person I was with started losing his marbles and was just like, I do not want to be here. And I was like, all right, we'll go outside for a smoke. Like, you know, we're trying to like keep him in the place. We really need to get this done. And he's like, no, nah, you just don't get it. It fucking sucks. And I was like, Nah, dude, this is, this does fucking suck. I do get this. I don't want to be here. Yeah. I can sure as shit understand why you don't want to be here, but yeah. let's get to it through it together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a we're here because this is your shit. Yeah. It was a let's figure this out. Selling fucking does suck. Yeah. And I think that's when you have like an alliance. There's an alliance there. And mm. I think that's similar to what you guys are saying about Parkville and having, you know, once they knew that upper management stuff of it's not something that we're enforcing just to be dicks here. Yeah, it's something yeah. we have to do. I don't make the rules. Yeah. yeah, I'm not that important. I make no fucking rules. Do you know I used to tell the kids sometimes just to like wind them up because I used to always like try and like be funny. Yeah, because I tell them that we used to make commission. Like every, t- <laughs> every time kids got locked up, that we would make more money. Yeah, <laughs> recidivism rate. Yeah. Keep like, them up. Money. Like, what do you mean, bro? I go think about it. Every time one of you guys gets locked up again, we make more money because we need money to look after you, right? The kids are looking at you. They're like, "What do you mean?" The best one. This maybe is a funny story to finish. To finish on. Um, Burning the monkeys. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the yeah. So Park, <laughs> so Parkville backs onto what I now know as um, CSL, which is like they make um, medical, um, like medical, they make medicine actually, and right. all that sort of stuff. But but you know how the zoo is also in Parkville. Yeah. So if the zoo, if the if the wind is blowing the right way, you can sometimes see the animals from the zoo. Cool. So it's kind of multi-layered. So there's this big factory and then behind it and to the left, there's like an old, probably not abandoned anymore, but looked fairly abandoned for a majority of the time that I worked there. Yeah. And the ongoing joke, and especially with some of the older clients, was, oh, that's where they burn the monkeys. And the kids would go, what do you mean? And because they would have like the smokestacks coming out the top, it was probably steam. And we'll go, yeah. And then all the old, some of the older kids who were locked up would wind up the little kids. and like, yeah, it's where they burn the monkeys. And if the wind was blowing the right way, you could hear the monkeys. And I think sometimes too, it was actually the lorikeets on um, near the Royal Children's Hospital in summer. Yeah, okay. they it's squ- like kookaburras, they sound like monkeys they, sometimes. They screech in summer. Yeah. Um, and you'd go outside and you go, listen. And you could hear, you know, maybe it was a seagull, maybe it was a monkey <laughs> from the zoo. Maybe <laughs> it was like, I've heard a, um, I was either like an elephant or a lion roar or something because it just carries over. Yeah. And they would hear something or they'd probably convince themselves they heard something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, see, do you hear it? Do you hear it? And, go, yeah. <gasps> yeah. and then they'll tell another kid, fuck, bro, that's where they burn the monkeys. Like, what the fuck are they burning the monkeys for? Because we'll tell them that they're like, t- that's, they're like testing on animals and stuff. 
And it's even it even got to Mondays. On Mondays they were doing it. There was a, like the, the kind of rumor that yeah. they did it every Monday. Oh, <laughs> so, on Monday. Uh, yeah, it's so good. So many good yeah, stories. How fantastic about that. is that? Yeah, it's where they burn the monkeys. I wonder if they still tell the kids that that's where they burn the monkeys. Yeah, they probably, yeah. They probably yeah. do. Or if there would be like an old kid that's, you know, done some time in Parky but like sorted their shit out and then doing something fantastic now, probably yeah. in youth work. A lot of our young people want to become youth True. workers that are like, those dickheads yeah. were burning monkeys. Well, they they us on. Class with their family and they're like, they burn monkeys every that's Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Mondays, clockwork. Yeah. How good. It's so good. Oh. Yeah, it's so funny. Well, if we're wrapping up, I'll ask my golden question. Yeah, yeah. If you had one piece of advice for any newbies coming into the space, wanting to, whether they're studying, about to come into youth work or, you know, they're, they're fresh in youth work, what would be your wisdom or your piece of advice? Um, don't be afraid to ask a question. Yeah. You know, especially to the people you're working with, you're working together and there's this kind of, yeah, that false, false, I guess, situation where people feel like they're the casual, you know, uh, and they don't want to, they feel like they're less than for asking a question, that they're, they're unprepared because they're asking a question. You're gaining knowledge and understanding of your shift. Yeah. You're developing as an individual and worker, mm. you know, in your role there. So, you know, feel free to ask, ask, um, ask questions and really, you know, that genuinity of being yourself mm. with respect to boundaries. You know, we've, we're playing a role, so there's certain things and parts of ourselves that um, that we're not allowed to talk about at work. Mm. You know, we're not allowed to promote it, you know. So that, to have those fine understandings of that and biggest, be nice to yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, be nice because that's the framework for what you do, how you work. Yeah. You know, and it's very hard to talk about being nice to yourself to young people in particular who are very emotionally intelligent mm. while you're not doing it. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a mismatch. So, you know, and so out of, um, yeah, well-being, self-care and efficiency or effectiveness, yeah, that self-talk is absolutely crucial. Being nice to self after an incident and then that helps to, re- if you can restore with self, you can restore with others. Absolutely. You know? And have fun. Have yeah. fun. It's the best job in the world. Mm. Best job in the world to be able to be a part of people's lives, go and roll around whether you're in resi and, and doing, you know, like the drives or going to outings or, you know, um, you know, situations, experiences, making the most of the one-off, one-on-one times and the collective times. And mm. everybody, we've got different relationships with different people. We don't have to be the same person. It's a different flavour, same thing, values. You've got the same values, sets of different people. Mm. Um, but, you know, play them out differently. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I love the um, always ask questions because I have a bit of a flip on that and I always say there's no such thing as a silly question. Yes. You mm. know, lots of people are like, no, nah, there's some pretty fucking dumb questions out there. But I think for me, I would rather what you would frame as a silly question, I would rather you ask me and me put that at ease for you mm. yep. or to support you with whatever that might be because that, again, empowers them. But mm. you're saying no such thing as a silly question. Oh, okay. Then yeah. I can. Feel That's free it. to ask you know, as many times as I need to or whatever I need to. And, and that can be presented in different ways. I'm like, I'm just checking in. Is this the way you do this? Mm. Yeah. You know, if that happens, is this what we can do? Mm. You know, or what do you do when this happens? There's just a different ways to frame it so mm. that we can kind of relieve that, that wrong and right mentality. Mm. You know? Because if we've got a judgment for self, it just naturally creeps in for others. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that grey outside of the black and white. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
That's good. Thanks for coming down today, bro. Thank you so much. It's been nice catching up with you as well as having a really interesting conversation about about all the other stuff that you're doing. It's it's been really cool. Thank you. And just, you know, one last thing is like used to, you know, Parkville actually said goodbye to a lot of people. Mm. And over the last nine years, keep on seeing people again. So if you're going to be a youth worker and you finish a role, it's see you later. Mm. Yeah. You know, I'll see you later, you know, yeah. you know, because we'll see a lot of people in some form or fashion. Yeah. You know, and and that's a different, uh, rather than ending a relationship, it's going to be continued. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so true, especially in this field, mm. you know. Mm. There's, there's so many different organisations and services and young people and crossover that, yeah. um, that you really will run into each other again. And it's been so cool. I love, and I've had this conversation with a few different people around that see you later thing. Um with how many people that have left um, working in Parkville and gone into work in the community and still still doing still doing it, still yeah. doing that youth work, still engaging with young people, haven't got bitter, yeah. you know, um, are still are still kind of um, aspiring for I think probably what got them working at Parkville in the first place mm-hmm. was wanting to engage with young people and be positive for, for young people. Yeah. Um, and when they found that, I don't speak for everybody, but when they maybe found that it wasn't working for them anymore, they yeah. found another space to work in and, and doing positive stuff. Um, and, so. that, and that's like, and looking at that, and especially for the resi, new resi workers coming in or new year's workers, is when you're ending a relationship with a, an organisation mm. or an employer, that now you're going to growth. The mm. reason you're grow, going or leaving is for growth, not mm. because you can't handle it, not because you don't want to, want to do it, it's you've got to grow more in mm. this field. You know, so and the more, more experience we can get, greater perspective, more opportunities, you know, better, better, uh, better, higher, higher, uh, higher outcomes. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, where can people find the incremental yes. project? Uh, on um, on the website www.incrementalproject.com, uh, and also we've got Facebook and Instagram too page. Okay. So a big shout out to Taylor Jade, Tay, um, co-founder of uh, Incremental Project, and um, and one of the most important people in my life too. So big shout out to Tay. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Beautiful. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.